Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. What if you were wearing something sexy? What if you were drinking? What if you made the first move? No matter what, sexual assault is never your fault. Support is available 24-7 through the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Call 1-800-656-HOPE or visit RAIN.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. This is Christina Ricci with RAIN, reminding you it's never your fault. Brought to you by RAIN and this station. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at SaturdaysWithJoyKeys at Hotmail.com. And thank you so much for listening, downloading, and sharing. Really do appreciate it. And I hope the shows have been helpful and also entertaining. You know, we don't always do heavy topics like today. So you have a lot of great music and uh, actors. Uh, artists that you can listen to for lighter subject matter. <laughs> uh, today we're uh, dealing with Sexual Assault Awareness Month. Uh, really, I, I, I wish it was maybe awareness, prevention. You could put so many words behind the sexual assault. And also the way you say it, some people say sexual violence. There's so many aspects to it, uh, as I'm speaking with our, my guest earlier. My guest today, uh, the first guest I have, Yolanda Edrington. She's the director of the National Sexual Violence Resource Center located in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. She oversees the operations of the National Center and its mission to provide leadership in preventing and responding to sexual violence through collaborating, sharing, creating resources, and promoting resource, uh, research. Good morning, Yolanda. Good morning, everyone. Thank you again for joining the show. And my second guest is Joyce Lakima. She currently serves as the Chief Operating Officer for the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Rape. And in this role, Ms. Lakima oversees the coalition's grants and contracts, legal, communications, and training, and technical assistance departments. She is a licensed clinical social worker experienced in individual and group counseling, as well as the supervision of counselors. She has worked with victims of violence and sexual assault for more than 30 years. Good morning, Joyce. Good morning. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for coming. Uh, I know most people like to sleep late, uh, at least until 12 maybe on Saturdays, so I appreciate you guys waking up a little earlier. Um, I I mean, you you don't have to worry about, you know, putting makeup on. You could be in your pajamas. That's the great thing about podcasts. Um, that it's, it's re- try to make people as relaxed as possible. But don't fall asleep, okay? Don't fall asleep. Um, <laughs> so um, just in terms of statistics, the self-reported incidents of rape or sexual assault more than doubled from uh, 1.4 victimizations per 1,000 persons age 12 or older in 2017 to 2.7 in 2018. Um, 
this is um, an amazing jump. Let me ask um, Yolanda, have you seen a jump in this recent COVID this past year? Well, it was expected for, you know, numbers to increase when we're all confined uh, confined to our homes or, or have a stay-at-home stay order. You know, at one time we were able to go out to, you know, school or to work where if we were in a home with an abuser, we had that outlet and now that outlet is gone. And then with the stresses around COVID, uh, it was expected for um, – numbers to to raise. And then the the period that you're talking about with the numbers going up, that's also around the Me Too movement where it became um, like really public and and people are learning it is okay to speak out and it's okay to um, get help. So, you know, it it should have been expected for the numbers to go up as people are um, becoming, uh, getting in a safe space to report. Now, the statistics were saying, like I was looking at Rain's website and they were saying that um, the majority of victims are 12 to 17. And is this what you're seeing, Joyce, that the victims are that young? Um, we, we do. We see, um, we see victims like all along the age spectrum, but oftentimes um, we see more when we look in that like child to early adolescence, like even into the, you know, into folks um, early to mid-20s, and some of that just can be the, might be the circumstance and the fact that people are, um, you know, how, where they're connecting and where they're more vulnerable um, during those age groups, like during, in the younger years. But we also, I like to just emphasize that sexual violence can happen at any stage in a person's life, and we frequently, we frequently see survivors along the whole age spectrum. Now, we were talking earlier about what does it mean, what does sexual violence mean? Um, and, and in different cultures, um, people interpret it, those words differently, and that in turn affects maybe victims coming forward or even, you know, trying to uh, deal with what maybe happened to them. Um, Yolanda, what have you seen uh, in terms of, culturally how people are, are interpreting sexual violence. You know, I do want to say that, you know, sexual violence is any type of unwanted sexual contact. And I think that's a starting point for, for many, many things and understanding that it's any type of unwanted sexual contact. So um, when we talk about culture or, or even the word rape where it doesn't exist in some, you know, language, it's multiple words that it describe it at. Um, so that that's a part right there that we um, have to be mindful of words that or um, the way that we describe things may not be the same that uh, in another language or another culture that is described. So when someone might be um, saying what happened, it might not be uh, identified as um, a sexual assault right away until the person maybe tells their tells more of the story or the person that's listening can um, understand what they're what they're describing. Um, so, so that's a, a starting point right there. It's just words and how we describe different acts that happen. But the, but leaning back on that, it is any type of unwanted sexual contact. So we so have language, we, we have culture. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to say to Joyce. Um, so, so being that that's the case, when someone comes to talk to you, maybe as a counselor or a friend. 
how do you not shame a person because you could be like, what, you didn't know? Like, oh, my God, you let that happen to you? Like, blah, blah, blah. You know, people just could say stuff that could be really harmful. How does somebody, a person, a counselor, because you've been a supervisor of counselors, how do you not shame a victim? Yeah, I think, I mean, one one thing I want to just build a little bit on what Yolanda was saying because it's such a just such an important point that oftentimes when we use some of those words, like, you know, she was saying, like, in some in languages they don't even exist, like if we ask somebody if they've been raped, they may say no, but if we ask them if anyone um, ever forced them to do something sexually that they didn't want to or if they ever felt pushed into doing something sexually that they didn't want to, then they may say yes. And then when you look further, mm. the action that happened may have fit what would be a definition of rape or sexual assault, depending on where you live. But to your question, Joy, um, regarding like if somebody discloses to you, I think the most important thing is to um, really be supportive and just believe a person, say, I'm sorry that you had to, that this happened to you. Um, what can I do to help and support you? I think sometimes our impulse as human beings is that we want to ask questions. Like we want to know like what happened? Why did it happen? Why didn't you do this thing? And those, I think oftentimes when we, um, we think we're being helpful by sort of asking questions and encouraging, and that might come even from a protective place for people, but what it can do is actually make a survivor feel, um, it may cause them to feel guilty or like they didn't do something right or, you know, because, yeah, they, they didn't do something in the way that they should have. So I think it could unintentionally be shaming. Sometimes it's intentional because some people may just go there. Um, but but just, just listening, saying, I believe you, I'm sorry this happened, and what can I do to support you? And also let people well, know there's help. There is. <laughs> so. Yeah, right, exactly. And that's why we're doing the podcast this morning uh, because we want to, you know, tell people that yeah. they help your organization, the National Coalition, RAIN. There's so many places that are out there now that are um, available. Um, let me ask you, Yolanda, though, she brought up the word believe. That seems to be, even in movies, people are like they, the parents, the, the relatives, and they, somebody, they don't believe a person when they tell them that they've been sexually assaulted, a child, a teen, adult, it doesn't matter. Somehow it always like, it, people sometimes try to shove things under the rug. How, how, how is that possible? Why is that, why does that happen in, in terms of your research and, and, and study of this matter? Why people don't believe Maybe they're afraid. Maybe something happened to them. Maybe it's too much to handle. I mean, it's a form of denial, yeah? It is a form of denial, especially when um, they might see the image of the person that's being, um, you know, accused uh, as a friend. It's a friend or a family, and they're like, oh, no, that they couldn't have done that. And that comes back down to people thinking that it's this um, – you know, monster in the bush that is doing these things. And when there is no particular profile for a um, for an abuser, for a perpetrator, you know, there's no single profile mm. for a perpetrator that there is no, not a typical sex offender. Um, so 
people who abuse others, they decide on who and when and where and how they will abuse. So people need to remember to put the the onus, the blame back on the perpetrator and not on the the victim. And so, but I think it's easier for people to see it in that way, especially when it's a person that they know and or trust, and most likely it is someone that they know and trust. It's hard to get out of not giving excuses for anyone that is victim-blaming at all, uh, but it's hard for them to get out of that thought of, oh, no, it can't be that person. And, yes, it can be. No one, you know, there is no typical profile that you see about a sex offender, you know, that if we get out of that space, um, move out of that thing that we see on TV or that image that we see here and remember that, most perpetrators know their victim. They are a family Mm -hmm. member. They are a intimate partner. They are a co-worker. They are a classmate. They are an acquaintance. Um, That if we remember that, that hopefully, you know, victim blaming will go away and people will be believing that you will listen and not throw the 50 million probing questions on why, 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 um, (laughs) as if it's their fault that this happened. They didn't, you know, the victim didn't do it to themselves. A person right, that right. to them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Joyce, yeah, let me I, ask you this issue of, uh, go ahead, you wanted to add to what she said? Oh, no, no, I was just going to say, I think it's just such an important point that Yolanda is making that, you know, oftentimes we, we do, we have this, like, um, if we see people as being, like, all good or all bad, and um, so if somebody that maybe we know, uh, maybe they're a coach, maybe it's a religious leader, a teacher, and we may know them to do good work, so then when we hear um, that they have caused harm, and specifically sexual harm to someone, it's hard for us to believe that, you know, but I think that oftentimes people who commit sex offenses, they build on, like, they sort of exploit or take advantage of that trust um, that we have and that we give to people. Joyce, I wanted to ask about this matter of people not telling right away. That's a big Mm -hmm. thing, you know, that happened with the Me Too movement. It, It just happens throughout history. You know, somebody, it happened to them, say, between these ages of 12 and 17. Maybe it happened at 15, and then they're 30, and they finally come out and say, this is what happened to me. What yeah. do you, why why are people not coming out right away about it? Yeah, I I would actually, you know, I would challenge people to ask the question like why would someone come forward? Um when we mm. see yes media and um and no no offense um but how how just how how society treats survivors when they come forward um you know it's understandable why someone might not come forward i think like some of the things that we were just talking around about belief like that oftentimes people um you know people are fearful that folks will not believe them and they've seen examples of that they've seen examples of people not being believed. Also, sometimes they don't recognize that what has happened to them is sexual abuse or sexual violence. Like they don't know because, um, say, if you're already in a relationship with someone or if you um, maybe said yes to kissing, but then the person pushed further than that, you may somehow feel like you like what happened wasn't sexual assault because you said yes to that one for that one act. But then when you said 
said no later, they didn't listen. Um, mm-hmm. So there are many, many, many different reasons. I think one of the things that we want to do is just build that culture of support so that people do feel safe in coming forward in in whatever manner that is, whether they're coming to a family member, to a counselor, a rape crisis center, whatever that is, that they can feel safe um, in doing that and know that people are going to give them that support um, and not sort of turn the tables on them when they're being really vulnerable. Right, right. Now, Yolanda, she brought up the issue of consent. So, you know, I said yes to kissing, but then later on I said no. You know, that's one of those, wow, people, and and, and, and and, in our society with men and women, the, the issue of consent is viewed differently. What is consent? How can you explain, Yolanda, to the public um, to men, to women, to children, what does it mean, consent, and how to respect it? You know, consent is asking. You know, someone can say yes and no. Someone can say yes at the beginning and then, like, no, I don't want to go any further. And that is okay. It is okay to change mm-hmm. your mind. We can change our mind and all the different things that we do in our life, but for some reason we believe that someone can't change their mind in the middle of, oh, I'm kissing and now I'm saying no. I don't, I don't want to do that. Or even as simple as maybe if a text message was okay that might have been um, a little sexual in nature and then it went too far for you personally and you said, no, this isn't how I want to communicate with you. That is okay. Consent is simply asking, and it's such a healthy and normal thing uh, for us to practice throughout our interactions of the day. Every day we do. Um, And it has to become a normal uh, behavior that uh, is also attached to um, our partners um, through our, 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 you know, our our sexuality, our sex lives, that... um, this is also normal, and it is also okay to ask all the way through, you know. Um, and it's just giving permission that I'm that person, you, and wouldn't you want a partner that is okay with every step? They're enthusiastically saying yes to every step mm-hmm. of a sexual encounter, that this is an enthusiastic behavior, and they're like, yes, 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 all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know this partner is, completely okay with what is happening and that you don't have to question it. And that, you know, that's a beauty, uh, a beauty between two individuals and why would you not want that? So as much as we talk about consent, it's so normal and people are, are it, it always troubles me. We're like, oh, what's well, not normal with sex? It absolutely is. It's normal in every single aspect of life. Sex also being included in that. And we have to think of it in that way that we should want an enthusiastic yes from our partners all the way through. It should not be a question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Joyce brought up something earlier about even being in a relationship and then still saying no. People, you know, there's the issue of being raped while you're married. And people may not yeah. believe those two things together. Joyce, could you talk about that uh, yeah, situation yeah, and what does I, that mean? I think there's this idea that if you've had a past sexual relationship with somebody and, you know, maybe on Monday you were agreeable to that and it was something that you wanted or like Yolanda said, you enthusiastically said yes and then 
on another day for many reasons. I mean, it might, I don't even think you should have to come up with a reason. On another day, you may say, no, this is not what I want. Um, We're all entitled to body integrity. I mean, we own our bodies and we have a right, regardless of the relationship, to say no on any given day. Um, so I think I think that this idea of if you're in a relationship, and specifically if you're married to someone, that you've somehow given away all your rights, and um, it tends to lean on you know women when they say it, when when people are thinking in those terms that it's just a very archaic, and I think it is built very much on, you know, if you look at history, just sort of this idea that women and children are seen as property. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think we've evolved from that as um, people, we've evolved as a society and recognize that we all have the right to make choices with our body, specifically sexually. You know, as adults, we have a right to choose who we're who we're going to have a sexual or intimate relationship with and when. So so even if you're married, you have a right to say no, not today. Um, yeah. One of the things, and, you know, consent is, is, go ahead. Now I was just going to say, you know, consent is really about choosing to respect someone's personal and emotional boundaries. You know, and yep. just remembering it from that one space that is a choice to respect that person's. Um, personal, emotional, physical, that the boundaries that they have, and, you know, and that you should want to do that because you also want someone to respect your personal and physical and emotional boundaries. Yeah, I wanted to bring up the issue that about people thinking sexual assault is like male-female. Sexual assault <laughs> can happen in LGBTQI relationships. Um, right. it, it, uh, it, sexual uh, assault can happen to men. Um, and I think it goes back to that main point that Yolanda said, any unwanted sexual advances, um, that, that's like the baseline, no matter who you are, male, female, um, they, um, whatever your, you know, gender designate, whatever you decide you are, if you are being broached upon and you said no, and the person continues, then that's a problem, um, 3% of American men or 1 in 33 men have been uh, attempted or completed rape, uh, have been experienced rape uh, in their lifetime. But a lot of times they say that's underreported. Joyce, have you seen that being underreported? Um, yeah, yeah, in- absolutely. I know that when, you know, back in the day when I worked in a rape crisis center, um, you know, this was an issue that we were really working on, um, you know, helping to make sure that there was space available for survivors regardless of gender. And frequently there are different kinds of um, pressures and messages that um, people that identify as male get around sexual violence. So, um, so, so yeah, so they have those additional barriers regarding reporting or even just like telling somebody, you know, I think some of the, um, you know, some of the way we view masculinity in our culture um, really contributes to that. The good thing is that I do think that um, 
men are feeling safer in speaking out more. I think we've seen that over the past, like, probably decade or so where um, male survivors are coming forward more. I think some of it was led by um, men who were abused in childhood and then felt more comfortable coming out when they were adults and saw that there was support available for them. But um, we still need to do a lot of work, I think, for all survivors, just, you know, making sure that we don't have sort of this stereotype image of what it looks like to be sexually assaulted, making sure that people recognize that their experience um, is is real and that the support is available for them no matter how that, you know, what that experience was of sexual violence. Now, somebody was telling me that every hospital, uh, in terms of Pennsylvania, I don't know if you're familiar with this, Yolanda or Joyce, they don't have, like, the rape kits available um, have you? Is that something true? Does every hospital, even in the nation, I'll say Yolanda, do they have rape kits and the ability if somebody in that area gets raped to to help them out and 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 follow through with that? I, I was going to say, yeah, I I I feel oh, okay. like um, like. Like, that is something we're working toward, but I don't know that, um, I know that we have a staff member who's involved, like, actually representing the NSVRC, like, looking at sexual assault um, forensic examinations, and I think that there are areas where, even though there should be a standardized rape kit available, I believe that there are definitely gaps out there, Um you know, and I think that's one of the things that we're striving for is to make sure that people have consistent care if they ser- if they search out medical um, care in an emergency department that 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 is available to them. But I I do definitely believe that there are gaps still existing out there. And now, if you yeah. are a victim, say you're an adult victim. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Yolanda. So. No, I just wanted to answer um, the part of a, on the, more of a national arm. It's the same answer that um, Joyce gave. Is uh, sure there's gaps there, and that's a long-term um, process that we're, we're all trying to fix. And if it's not available at that emergency room, to at least connect with um, an organization that can come quickly and be able to assist. But there, there are gaps there um, in making sure that those kits are available to everyone. Why is that? What, I mean, this is such a big issue. Why? Why is that? Why? Why does the federal government not feel it's necessary that every hospital have that type of material available? I mean, it seems baffling. Yeah, I th- I think that because a lot of times it does trickle down to local jurisdictions. Like I, you know, I even look at a state like Pennsylvania, we're a commonwealth, so things become very county based and. Um, Frequently, you know, I mean, hopefully resources do get there, but I think sometimes there's just a lot, it takes a lot for a consistent response to happen, Um, even if on the federal level they're saying this is what we think should happen, making sure that really happens in the community. can can be really challenging. And I think that's why it's so important, like, for there to be community, like, across the country. But um, I know in Pennsylvania we're fortunate that we have, like, sexual assault services centers across the Commonwealth. But 
but I know in, there are some states that aren't as benefits, don't have as many benefits as we do. So I think having advocates on every level, they can be working in those communities to make sure that more consistent response is happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to tell people the National Sexual Assault Telephone Hotline number, 1-800-656-HOPE, and that, that will be 1-800-656-4673. I wanted to just keep, we, we're running out of time a little bit, but I want to talk about the after someone has experienced a sexual assault uh, as the victim and also as their friends and family. So what should someone, I don't know, say should, but what should be done after someone has been assaulted, even if it's years later? What, what can they do as someone as a victim? Yolanda? You know, what they can do is provide, you know, as Joyce said earlier, she said these words often, provide a safe and a listening space for the survivor. That's the biggest thing that you can do. And remember that healing and justice looks so different for every survivor. A survivor may or may not choose to move forward with the criminal justice system, and that is okay. And remember that healing is an ongoing process and every survivor heals in their own way, and that just to be supportive and provide that supportive and safe space for, for every survivor, if you're a family member, friend, or even a stranger that may come to you, that that's the space that you should, that, that's a should, that you should be providing is a safe and supportive space, no judgment. Joyce, what do we have here in Pennsylvania for victims? find families, support groups, organizations, what, what do we have here that they can go to call? We do. If you go to our website, which is www.pcar.org, and then there's a tab called Find Help, um, you can be connected with your local sexual assault services center, and they do provide um, individual and group counseling in addition to 24-7 hotline coverage. So if you're a family member or a survivor who just wants to talk to someone, there, there's always someone available um, out there for you as far as that support. I also do want to just make sure we put a plug in for Sexual Assault Awareness Month and all the great prevention activities that are happening across the state. And I know Yolanda has, there's, there's a lot happening across the country as well. Mm -hmm. So we all, we all have an opportunity where we can get involved. Yolanda, tell us about some of the things you, your organization is doing this month. Oh, absolutely. So this year, 2021, is We Can Build Safe Online Spaces. You know, we learned so much throughout COVID um, about most of us are online now, and, you know, even online people can experience sexual assault or harassment. And so we, we provide toolkit. This toolkit online, you can go right to nsbrc.org, um, and you'll go right to our SAM page and our Find Help uh, page and all of our resources where you can go in there and, and find tips on how to, how to build awareness around sexual assault and specifically on online spaces. And we provide um, ready-made events for you to make it easier and to spread um, awareness information in your different um, areas of your life. So, you know, go straight to nscrc.org and our Sexual Assault Awareness Month uh, and all of the um, activities and uh, kits are right on there. Um, just and our closing, Facebook, just Instagram, to... LinkedIn. Oh, go ahead. Yep. <laughs> no, no, say it again. Say it again. Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, we're all on there too. Excellent, excellent. And I wanted to just real quick about policies. 
what policies are out there, Joyce, in Pennsylvania that maybe people need to get behind to help, um, I guess, support sexual awareness, sexual uh, assault prevention? Is there anything out there that we need to be signing, calling our legislative uh, uh, representatives about? I think, I mean, I think the thing that you're hearing about the most in Pennsylvania right now is the statute of limitations. Um, we really want survivors to have options related to being able to hold um, their hold people and institutions accountable for past sexual violence that has happened to them. Um, so, so I think looking, yeah, anything you can do as far as reaching out to your state legislature, and I know there's probably, I know on our webpage we have some specific, um, specific information around it, but just making sure that statute of limitations, that there's a window so that folks that were sexually abused in the past have an opportunity to hold institutions accountable for abuse that happened to them and they were unable to report. All right, people, you heard it. That's the call to action. Um, to call your legislative council people, state, federal, whatever you got to do, we need to fix that issue. Uh, thank you so much, Yolanda and Joyce, for coming on. It's a really great conversation. I hope that people learned some things and um, were able to get some help. I just want to mention again that um, you guys are from the – well, one, Yolanda, you're from NSVRC. Your website is nsvrc.org. And um, Joyce, you're from PCAR, uh, P-C-A-R.org. That's your website. And they are also on social media. Thank you very much, ladies, for uh, not falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Right. Uh, you guys have a great weekend, okay? You too. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the show. This is a National Sexual Assault Awareness Month. I uh, hope you guys learned some things and got some information for yourself. If you are a victim, if you are a family member or friends, they're, again, listening and safe spaces. You don't want to shame the person or make them think like it was their fault that something happened to them. And also we talked about this issue of culture and sometimes people may not realize what happened to them was actually sexual assault. So give them a chance to maybe, uh, you know, comprehend if something happened to them instead of maybe yelling at them like, yeah, that was it, blah, 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 you know, that, just don't do that. that. Just chill out. It's not about you. It's about them and give them a minute. And there's also help out there. So that's uh, one of the most important things. There is help and they can um, get assistance. And lastly, we talked about these policies and the statute of limitations. I encourage you to talk to your legislative representatives about that and getting that changed. For me, I just want to thank you for listening to the show. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. And I want to um, encourage you to... Um, Continue to share. The, if you missed the show, they're all archived. You can listen to them on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, as well as here at Blog Talk Radio on Stitcher. So uh, have at it and share and like and send me comments. Oh, you can email me, SaturdaysWithJoyTees at Hotmail.com. You guys have a great weekend, all right? I'll talk to you next Saturday. Bye-bye.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.